is a sultry day. The sun has drank the dew that lay upon the morning grass. There is no rustling in the lofty elm that canopies my dwelling, and its shade scarce cools me. All is silent, save the faint and interrupted murmur of the bee settling on the sick flowers, and then again instantly on the wing. The plants around feel the two potent fervors. The tall maize rolls up its long green leaves, the clover droops, its tender foliage and declines its blooms. Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together, Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, based on the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar. Now is the season of Taisho, or sweltering heat. Spanning from July 22nd to August 6th, this season classically includes some of the hottest days of the year. The verdancy of spring wilts and withers in the heat, as the earth steams in humidity and waits for rain. This season is all about finding ways to stay cool. The season of sweltering heat is preceded by the mini-season minor heat, or the beginning of midsummer, and followed by the mini-season, the beginning of autumn. As we began work on this episode, the United States was going through an historic heat wave. To an extent, it feels unnecessary to focus on the hot weather prevalent during this time of year. It goes without saying that we are baking in the heat. So, we will be focusing today on surviving the sweltering summer with the help of cooling things. Cooling things is a kiko, or seasonal phrase, we've explored in previous episodes. These are things such as fans, cold drinks, and even the tinkling of wind chimes in a breeze, resources that help take the edge off the heat and remind us of cooler days. So as we face another unrelentingly hot day, let's arm ourselves with treasured cooling things to help us make it through to the season ahead. I only wish I could believe, while here in the flesh I moan, that heat is cold and cold is heat, I'd make a temperate zone. I cannot crawl from out my heated flesh while winds blow through my bones, yet I can dream of frost and snow, icicles and icebergs grand. Alexis, I feel it. I feel that helplessness of the too hot summer. As the previous poem suggests, sometimes all we can do is dream of frost and snow. Let's think cool, Kit. Thinking about cool things might help us to feel cool eventually. 
Perhaps one of the simplest ways to cool off is to partake in cooling things to eat and drink. I'm sure everyone's fridges in summertime include trays of ice and maybe ice cream and popsicles. And what about cold fruit, like plums and cherries? Chilling in the fridge, they make for a deliciously cool watery bite. We all know the poem by William Carlos Williams about plums in the icebox. So delicious, so sweet, and so cold. In our summer solstice episode, I mentioned chilled apricots as being a favorite of mine. And you know, we may not even have to reach into our iceboxes to get a nice cooling effect from some fruits. That's true. Fruits like pears, mangoes, and melons, for example, have a naturally high water content that can help us keep hydrated as we enjoy their sweet flavors. Melons in particular are known for their cooling properties. That's because melons, like honeydew, cantaloupe, and the beautifully cool watermelon, all have a water content of about 95%, making them one of the best choices for lowering our body temperatures naturally. Melons also taste gorgeous in the summertime. Indeed. Watermelons are a particular staple of summer, it seems. Regarding the juicy watermelon, Mark Twain wrote, It is chief of this world's luxuries over all the fruits of the earth. When one has tasted it, he knows what the angels eat. It was not a southern watermelon that Eve took. We know it because she repented. Say, didn't you share that quote before? Well remembered, Kit. We shared part of that quote in our July episode from 2020, Minor Heat. But now you get to hear the whole thing. We discussed melons then as well. But as with seasons, our seasonal words may come around again, too. That's part of the joy of seasonality. Here's a haiku by Basho about melons. The first melon. Shall it be cut into quarters or into round slices? Deciding how best to serve the melon seems almost playful to me. Here is a very playful haiku by Isa. If someone comes, change into frogs, cooling melons. Whether you want to share them with friends or not, the cooling melon helps remind us that hydration really is key in summertime. Another memory from our Minor Heat episode from July 2020 is when we discussed mugicha, or barley tea, and admired its mineral-rich properties that make it a great, healthy choice in summertime. But almost any tea can make a refreshing iced tea. Absolutely. Lately, I have been enjoying cold-brewed green tea throughout the day. I just put the tea in water and leave it in the refrigerator overnight. To my own tastes, cold-brewing tea changes the flavor subtly. Maybe it makes it more gentle. This comes through with green tea, but is particularly noticeable with black tea. My English breakfast blend definitely tastes less astringent to me when I cold brew it. And what could be easier? The clinking of ice. Even this tea perspires in the sweltering heat. Cold brewing tea is a nice choice. I find myself making sun tea also delightful in summer. Sun tea is just as it sounds. You put your tea in water and then leave it out on a sunny windowsill to brew in the sunshine. It is so pleasant to pour sun tea over ice and enjoy it that way. Ethnobotanist and gardener John Forty, in his new book, The Heirloom Gardener, has this to say about tea in summertime. 
At the height of summer, I pick bee-bound flowers and fill a teapot. Sometimes the hummingbirds are so intrigued by the scene that they continue to sip nectar from the flower stalks in my hands. I either make sun tea or I let boiled water drop a few degrees and pour it over the flowers and leaves. I inhale the first vapors and put a lid on the pot to keep the distillates within it. This type of tea was first known as an infusion or a tisane. A typical infusion would be made from the tender aerial parts of the plant, leaf, or flower infused into hot water. If the woody parts of a plant, like the root, bark, or twig, or hard fruit are to be prepared, they would be simmered into a decoction in order to extract the flavor or medicinal attributes. Sounds wonderful. And with this quote, this is a good time to announce that we will have its author, John Forty, on our upcoming episode of Season by Season. We'll be discussing his book, The Heirloom Gardener, and all things seasonal. I'm so excited for this. Listeners, we hope you will look forward to it too. In the meantime, listeners, why not give John Forty's Sun Tea a try? If you do, let us know what you think by leaving a comment on our Facebook page. As for tisans or infusions, do you have any you particularly like, Alexis? Well, I have been known to grow lemon balm on my windowsill for brewing tea, but I've also started infusing my water with the discarded hearts of pineapple. It makes for a deliciously refreshing drink, and it makes me feel less wasteful when I cut a pineapple. How about you, Kit? Well, I was in Okinawa in August once, and it was so hot I could barely think straight, and I had a tisane made with hibiscus that was refreshing and revitalizing and made everything better. Ever since then, hibiscus is my go-to choice on hot days. It has a tart, fruity floral flavor and a deep red color that just says summer to me. Sounds like a great way to stay hydrated and stay cool. During these long, hot days, surely there's always time for iced tea and tisans. Time for you, and time for me, and time yet for a hundred indecisions, and for a hundred visions, and revisions, before the taking of toast and tea. Iced tea is probably what I'll always reach for on a hot day, at least nine times out of ten, but there are those who think of an ice-cold beer as their refreshment of choice. After another long summer day, Sitting down for a beer with friends as evening falls is an important part of the season for many. You and I shared a cold one or two in summer in Tokyo. Do you remember? Of course. That's a great memory for me. And do you remember what was served alongside our drinks? Hmm. It wasn't bar peanuts. Nope. Then it must have been edamame. You know, I was a little surprised when this came up as a seasonal word. But we did find that the season of sweltering heat had reference to being the season of edamame as well. Perhaps it is in this association with cooling beer, so often enjoyed together on these warm nights, that the edamame attained such popularity around this time of year. It's interesting that you should mention that. Listeners, for those who may not know, edamame are fresh soybeans. The name edamame literally means beans on branches. They're usually served as a light snack and can be eaten fresh from the pot. They have a high vitamin C content, and many believe that consuming fresh edamame 
can help reduce the toxic effect of alcohol consumption. Could this be a contributing factor to why they are so ubiquitous at bars in Japan? Whatever the reason, let's celebrate the vegetal and cool edamame with this haiku. This edamame bean, it flies for nine centimeters and then enters my mouth. But it isn't just watery, cold foods that might refresh us from natsubate, heat fatigue in Japanese. There are other foods that can provide a refreshing pick-me-up during the hot season. In Japan, this time of year is known for an unusual summer food believed to have restorative properties. Eel. With a kitchen knife, choosing eels a cool evening. Although you can eat eel year-round, there is a tradition in Japan to eat eel during some of the hottest days of the summer season. Eel is a nutritious food thought to provide stamina against the heat. These special eel-eating days of summer are known as Doyu no Ushi no Hi. This year, 2021, that's July 28th. Summertime eel is a tradition based on the Chinese zodiac, associated with the days and month of the ox. The ox represents the coldest winter month, usually falling around January or February. And a few times a year, there would be days of the ox. As the word for ox in Japanese is ushi, starting with the letter U, foods beginning with the letter U were thought to impart a cooling feeling, just like the ox zodiac implied. Eel in Japanese is unagi, spelled U. N-A-G-I. Unagi donburi, or eel over rice, is actually my husband's favorite food. He always orders it at every Japanese restaurant that has it on the menu. As a food, eel may seem exotic to some of our listeners based in the United States, but in fact, 17th and 18th century Americans loved their eel. Eel were harvested throughout the country and were in such demand that lobsters served as bait. The popularity of eel led to shortages, and now in North America, they're considered endangered species. In Japan, too, eel shortages are a problem. If not eel to beat the heat, why not give plums a try? The word for plum in Japanese is ume, spelled U-M-E, and pickled plums, umeboshi, are also another popular food to beat the heat during the summer, and more environmentally sustainable than eel. In addition to eating things to cool off, there are also traditional places and ways to lower the temperature. In past episodes, we've explored going to the beach and fishing, but there are countless other ways to find refreshment. For example, simply enjoying watching moving water. The Mole from the Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham certainly agreed. The Mole was bewitched, entranced, fascinated, by the side of the river he trotted as one trots, when very small, by the side of a man who holds one spellbound by exciting stories. And when tired, at last, he sat on the bank, while the river still chattered on to him, a babbling procession of the best stories in the world, sent from the heart of the earth to be told at last to the insatiable sea. Indeed, 
modern people have always been linked to one another. As Elijah Sobel notes in his thesis on swimming holes of Vermont, people have manipulated fresh water for thousands of years through urbanization and agriculture. Yet water has this symbolic meaning as well, and has been venerated for its life-giving properties, power, and purpose. In almost all religions and cultures, water holds a certain sacred significance and is regarded as a precious resource. Swimming holes, too, are a precious resource. They are often mysterious, guarded community secrets tucked away in the dark of the woods. Perhaps more so than going to a lake, river, or visiting the ocean, there is something very intimate about a swimming hole. Listeners, we invite you to kick back as we listen to a special contribution segment by swimming hole aficionado Elijah Sobel as he takes us on a journey to a swimming hole, from the path to it to the cool waters. Some people wonder where the river starts, and others where it ends. I only wonder where it gets deep, where its rocky shallows become gorges, and its riffles become crystal clear pools. The water settles in, at peace with itself and its slow-moving state. It stops and sits and beckons us to jump in. And on a hot summer day of sweltering heat, the river provides the most exquisite escape, cooling and refreshing and recharging every single sense in the body. These soft river stones and filtered forest light are an oasis, visited and enjoyed by animals and people alike. Being here in the river brings us back reminds us of the steady flow of time, the change of seasons, and our place within it. What a rare treat to experience not just the sound of water, but the sound of a swimming hole. If you would like to read Elisha's thesis and learn more about him, we'll share information on our website. Listeners, what cool, watery refuges are yours during this hot time of year? Is it a visit to the beach, a nearby river or lake? How about even fire hydrants in your neighborhood pouring out water onto the street? Or even a cold shower in the late afternoon? One way that some people manage the heat is by escaping from it, traveling to places where it's cooler. For some, especially in California or on the West Coast, it may be the beach, but for many, it's the mountains. Here's a poem by Li Po about being in the mountains on a summer's day. 
Gently I stir a white feather fan with open shirt sitting in a green wood. I take off my cap and hang it on a jutting stone. A wind from the pine trees trickles on my bare head. Another way to impart a feeling of coolness is just through dampness in the air, like a wet cloth on the back of the neck, or a water mister installed on the street. Sometimes just the object being wetted is enough to make one feel cool. Wetting sidewalks and streets in the summertime has a long history in Japan. The word for this in Japanese is uchimizu. As Tokyo Weekender explains, the word combines two ideas, uchi meaning to hit, and mizu, meaning water, which describes the scattered water hitting the ground. Water and sprinkling water have long been part of Shinto purifying rituals, such as using the ladle to cleanse your hands at the entrance to a shrine. And just as traditional townspeople did, many still sweep the street as part of their daily tasks. Uchimizu is a practical way to tamp down dust. And it does get dusty in the summer, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. I'm happy to report that the superintendent in my apartment building often uchimizus our little courtyard on particularly hot days. Listeners, you may be dubious. Does sprinkling water on the ground really make things feel cooler? Actually, it does. Tokyo Weekender goes on to share, through the process of heat vaporization, as water evaporates, it lowers the temperature of the remaining liquid as well as the surface below. This is why a glass of water left out at room temperature actually becomes colder, and why draping a wet towel around your neck is another classic summer cool-down tip. It's also why your mother told you to dry off properly after a bath, or getting wet so you don't catch a cold. And listeners in dry California, I know we might be worried about using water in this way, but I encourage you to try it with recycled water. The water you collect in that bucket in the shower can definitely be used to uchimizu. The bustle of the alleys rush with water. As we wait, a small breeze alights off the dampened streets. The setting sun is shining on the drops of sprinkled water on the road. Even just a sprinkle of water can revive the spirits. But if you don't have water to beat the heat, another way to get through it is to sleep through it. That's right, I'm talking about classic summertime siestas. I was wondering if naps would make an appearance sometime this summer. After all, in past episodes you've talked about napping, Alexis, so I know this is a topic you are familiar with. We couldn't forget about summer, perhaps the most soporific time of year. What can I say? All the heat makes you tired. Why not give in to the tiredness a little? Let your body rest. Maybe by the time you awake, cool evening will have come. Midday nap. The scent of lotuses meanders. Chased away from my napping spot, mosquito-spreading grass. Since it's cool down there, take a little nap, bottom of the well. 
These three haiku by Isa feature several other kigo, in addition to napping. In the first haiku, we are reminded that summer is the season of the lotus, a flower which blooms only for three days. The second poem features that perennial summer annoyance, mosquitoes. The third haiku, talking about naps and wells, refers to the summer custom of draining and cleaning wells. Isa advises the well cleaner to take advantage of the cool air underground. I don't know if I could take a nap at the bottom of a well, but when the heat gets sweltering, I imagine it must be cooler. Here's one more haiku by Isa, this time about wells and melons. The melon can't sink completely. The well. As this poem suggests, someone, perhaps Isa, is cooling melons in the water of a well which is too shallow for the melon to sink completely. This image brings to mind the old-fashioned way of cooling foods, keeping them in cold, preferably running water. Cold running water. You know, the sound of running water can be quite cooling. Yes, cooling sounds can be important. We mentioned the tinkle of wind chimes in the breeze as a summer sound in a previous episode. Even the reminder of a breeze can be a cooling thought on a too warm day. Something else we discussed in our Minor Heat episode of July 2020 was summer festivals and how they interweave a sense of seasons into our lives. Yes, even with the threat of unbearable heat, we still feel the draw to gather in summertime, to celebrate, eat good food, and have fun with our friends. In Japan, summer is festival season, and nearly as ubiquitous as food stands and fireworks are the goldfish. Goldfish are a great kigo for this season, not just for their association with water, but their association with festivals. There is even a festival specifically for goldfish, the Edogawa Goldfish Festival, which has taken place in the Edogawa Ward of Tokyo since the 1960s. And not just at the Edogawa Goldfish Festival, but at virtually any summer festival in Japan, one can participate in the traditional activity of goldfish scooping, or kingyo tsukui. Yes, summer festivals and goldfish scooping go hand in hand. To partake, you scoop a goldfish into a bowl, and you keep any goldfish you catch. The trick is the scoop used, called a poi, is made of paper and tears very easily in the water. There's skill involved. It sounds simple enough, but in fact, this activity is so popular in Japan that there is even the National Goldfish Scooping Championship, which has been held annually since 1995. Wow, more than 25 years of scooping goldfish. And of course, the tradition is much older than that. Scooping goldfish with paper ladles goes all the way back to the Edo period between 1603 and 1868. Goldfish had been brought over from China in the 1500s, and by the Edo period had become a popular pet. As in China, goldfish were considered symbols of fortune and good luck. The colors of goldfish, gold representing wealth, or red representing good health, were considered especially lucky. The sight of goldfish gliding elegantly through the water was alluring to the Edo elite, but their grace and beauty was also something the common folk could enjoy as well. 
it didn't take long for goldfish to become emblematic of summertime. The gleam of a goldfish being scooped at a festival stall at night. A goldfish seller with a smile on this straight road. Whether scooping goldfish or eating food off of skewers, partaking in summer festivals is a great way to forget about the heat and enjoy the season. Summer festivals are just one place that we like to gather in the summertime. Another fabulous summer tradition is that of Summer Stock Theatre. Ah, Summer Stock Theatre. This is an American theatre tradition of theatres that present stage productions only in summertime. Typically, summer stock theatre takes place outdoors, with natural or minimal lighting, and reuses the same stock scenery and costumes throughout different productions. Some summer theatres specialize in a specific type of production, such as musicals or Shakespearean plays. Shakespeare in the Park is a famous example of this. And this tradition harkens back to even older theatrical traditions. Isn't the play within a play in A Midsummer Night's Dream essentially a summer stock play? Yes, somehow Shakespeare and summer seem to go hand in hand for me. To reference Romeo and Juliet, if your mad blood is stirring in these hot days, why not settle down with a cool Shakespeare play? Here's something we hope you'll enjoy from A Midsummer Night's Dream. Lovers and madmen have such seething brains, such shaping fantasies that apprehend more than cool reason ever comprehends. The lunatic, the lover, and the poet are of imagination all compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold. That is the madman. The lover, all as frantic, sees Helen's beauty in a brow of Egypt. The poet's eye, in a fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. And, as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes, and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. Such tricks hath strong imagination, that if it would apprehend some joy, it comprehends some bringer of that joy. Or, in the night, imagining some fear, how easy is a bush supposed to bear? But after all the words we've explored, sometimes just by looking at something, we might get a chill. Whether it's the flowing river or lights twinkling off in the distance, special contributor Hiroaki Sato explains this to us a little bit more in his segment, Hiro's Corner, narrated by Ed von Adderkass. In summer, during the day, it's hot and it's humid if you live in a humid place like Japan. And then comes the evening, then the night. You see a light and it's cool. You feel... And this is the premise for the Kigo given me this time. He Suzushi. A light is cool. Cool here meaning giving or suggesting relief from heat, as in a cool breeze or a cool blouse, as the dictionary defines the word, not marked by a calm self-control, a cool negotiator, or marked by indifference, disdain, or dislike, unfriendly or unresponsive, a cool greeting. Uh, This kigo must be a relatively new seasonal indicator, 
No examples from the classical period of haiku, that is to say, uh, ending in the 19th century, are cited. So no basho, no buson, no isa. But this doesn't mean it's fake. Many, actually a majority of kigo, were born recently and continue to be created. This kigo also contains one extra sound or syllable, unexpressed but assumed. If you say hi suzushi, it makes only four syllables. In a haiku, a hypersyllabic word is accepted and often goes unnoticed, but a hyposyllabic word becomes conspicuous, as if you didn't know how to count syllables. For example, here's a haiku of Inahata Taiko, who was born in 1931. For a new colleague, I light a lamp. Cool. Atarashiki nakama ni tomosu hi suzushi. Read this haiku innocuously and you stumble, because the syllabic count comes out as 574. Couldn't Inahata Taiko count syllables? That's not possible. Inahata Taiko is the granddaughter of Takahama Kyoshi, who was called dictatorial as the head of the haiku group Hototogisu and its eponymous magazine Hototogisu. And Taiko had inherited the editorship of the magazine from her father, who had inherited it from Kyoshi. Here, you're expected to add another syllable to the last four to make it five. He Suzushi. Here's another haiku by Taiko. The manuscript almost completed. Lamp cool. Genko no hobo shiagarinu hie Suzushi. Actually, I was puzzled by the syllabic deficiencies of the Kigo, so I asked my haiku friend, Ono Yoko, whose haiku name is Marina. And she instantly responded by saying, Oh, in this case, you automatically pronounce he as he. Yoko, who lives in Saitama, had just taken part in a ginko, a haiku writing tour in the morning, followed by a kukai, a haiku composing party, in the afternoon. To get inspiration, the group had visited the famous Hikawa Shrine. Yoko also sent me two of her haiku, incorporating he suzushi. Lamp cool, the voice reciting, transparent and clear. He suzushi, ondoku no koe sukitori. With a bartender, I talk haiku. Lamp cool. Bartender to haiku no hanashi. He suzushi. And may this summer month bring you many cool lamps. We've talked about ways to beat the heat by drinking and eating cooling things escaping the heat by going somewhere cooler, sleeping through the heat, and I can think of one more way to make it through this too hot season. It's just remembering that, like all seasons, it will eventually end. That's right. Our next episode will be the season of fading heat. And before you know it, autumn will be here in all its crisp, cool glory. Happening right in the middle of this season, on August 1st, is Lamas, or Lofmas, which celebrates the beginning of the harvest. Here's a poem 
translated from Old English about Lamas and the coming of autumn. And after the feast of St. James, after seven nights of summer's brightness, Weedmon slips into the dwellings. Everywhere August brings to peoples of the earth Lamas Day. So autumn comes, after that number of nights but one, bright, laden with fruits, plenty is revealed, beautiful upon the earth. Thank you for joining us as we cooled off during the season of sweltering heat. This season, some of the Kiko, or seasonal words, we explored were eel, edamame, melon, iced tea, swimming holes, summer refuges to escape the heat, wetting the sidewalk to cool off, or uchimizu, siestas and summer naps, goldfish and summer festivals, summer plays and theaters, coolness of far-off twinkling lights, and llamas. Listeners, what are some other seasonal words you associate with this mini-season? Email your Kigo to our brand new email address, seasonbyseasonpodcast at gmail.com, or feel free to leave a comment on our Facebook page. By the way, have you seen our new website yet? Check it out at seasonbyseason.org, a special permanent seasonal home for this podcast. On this episode, you heard poems and prose by William Cullen Bryant, J.H. Harding, Matsuo Basho, Kobayashi Isa, me, T.S. Eliot, Masaoka Shiki, Lipo, Toru Sakano, Mayumi Yoshida, Mieko Takanashi, Tanega Santoka, Hirahata Seto, and William Shakespeare. The poems featured in this podcast are in the public domain or used with permission from their creators. We would like to thank our poetry readers for this episode. Adam Gordon, Catherine Piper, Stuart Diamond, Jessica Cork, Vicky Kagawan, Henry Halkyard, Lynn Hickman, Cyrus Lanthier, and Nikki. We would like to extend a special thanks to Hiro Akisato for his segment, Hiro's Corner, and to narrator Edvon Atterkast. And special thanks to Elijah Sobel for his refreshing dispatch straight from a Vermont swimming hole. Listeners, are you sad this episode has come to an end and you have to wait another month for another episode? Fear not. Our Spotify companion playlist will keep the season of sweltering heat, or maybe the season of cool vibes, all season long. Search for Season by Season on Spotify or access the playlist from our website. And listeners, don't forget to tune in to our next episode for our special interview with author, gardener, and ethnobotanist John Forty to discuss his new book, The Heirloom Gardener by Workman Publishing. To quote again from The Heirloom Gardener, The older I get, the more I aspire to tap into the symphonic song of nature, to harmonize with the flow of seasons, the cycles in our landscapes, and the larger universe. What a wonderful sentiment to end this episode. Join us again for our very special next episode when we'll be in the season Fading Heat. I can't wait. 
See you in another season.